Hello and welcome to Switch It, the podcast that reached the end of the road a long time ago. Yes, we're into the dregs of summer. Time for a final round of minesweeping. I'm joined by Andrew Miller and Mark Butcher, still looking reasonably fresh after the marathon bender that has been the international season of 2019, to prop up the bar into the metaphorical wee small hours. England won a World Cup after tying the final, so it seems oddly fitting that they lost out on the ashes after drawing the series. For the first time since 1972, the teams were locked together at 2-2, meaning Australia returned with the urn while England could console themselves with a potentially vital 56 points in the World Test Championship. The fifth test also provided a farewell to all that for Trevor Bayliss, meaning that at least one Australian felt the love at the Oval. There wasn't a great deal riding on the result, Butch, uh, but it wasn't a bad way to end the Bayliss era, that. Oh, I think there was there were tons um, riding on the result, actually. Uh, I, sorry to disagree with you after that quite magnificent opener. Um, <laughs> 24 uh, points, uh, well, to attempted points, you mean. Indeed. Oh, my, uh, yeah. Mine's a Newcastle Brown, by the way. Uh, and one of those for years. Um, the uh, No, I, I thought it was... But going into it, there was there was always the sense that kind of, you know, after the summer that everybody's had um, with the World Cup and everyone's kind of on their knees as you get into the last leg of, of, of the Test match and the Ashes have already been decided. But it, it felt to me as though whilst the players didn't quite seem, know, seem to know what to do with themselves on the first day or the first morning of the Test match, um, that there was a lot riding on it and that once they got into the to the bones of the Test, that it would that it would start to mean something again um you know you'd have you'd have heard me say on here before that test matches on their own have have their always have their own context anyway no matter what the score in a series might be you know every test match in itself is an event plus yeah add the the world championship points which i'm sure the players were talking about in the dressing room over a few beers last night um <laughs> but also table, you know what but, we got to but do also to get you know the, the, New Zealand? The, the, the series was still the, the series was there to be you know to be drawn or to be won australia were desperate to go back having won it outright um in order to sort of uh, you know to dispel any any uh, rumor that they weren't quite good enough to win it properly um which in the end they they, they <laughs> weren't uh and and for england a lot of reputations on the line um not least those of the captain um of of you know five or six other players in the team who have perhaps not had um the best of time of it it was everything everything was still there to be played for and i think as you saw you know some of the emotions running high on the field as much you know as much as uh, uh, youngsters little toddlers who, who are in the, in the need of a nap um, are sort of throwing the odd tantrum it kind of came out at the end didn't it as, as things started to get a bit fractious on the, on what turned out to be the final day so look I, I thought it was it's just been an incredible summer an epic summer um, and it was a magnificent finish uh, to what has been you know an absolutely golden um, golden summer of cricket I don't think we'll I can't remember one quite like it, um, although there have been, you know, 81, 2005, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of a sustained um, drama, um, a sustained entertainment, really, uh, I don't think we'll get better than that. It has been uh, epic, as Butch said, uh, Miller, and uh, from the big picture to the small, winning uh, a test is a valuable thing in and of itself. Also meant that uh, Joe Root avoided becoming a, a two-time Ashes losing captain. Um, which uh, is significant for his own prospects, I, I should imagine, in, in the job. Um, was there, is there a danger that it covered up some flaws in, in, along the way? I mean, you were uh, uh, plumping for a 4-1 uh, result uh, reverse uh, for England uh, before the series. Does two, two flatter them? 
Um, yes, it does. And and then again, when you think <laughs> back to the, the the glory of Headingley and the fact that they won pretty emphatically in in the game that Australia desperately wanted to win, I completely agree with Butch. By the way, I think I think there was an awful lot riding on it. All you had to do was look at Justin Langer's face during the presentation. There, they were down on down on the podium. Excellent trolling from Specsavers, by the way. They're having the great big drawn series across the top, <laughs> where you know a bit of an echo of the of the clenched fist and four fingers that Australia served up at the podium in Sydney um, last time out. So, you know, a little bit a little bit of a dampener there in the in the photos. It's it's quite obvious that they're you know not quite spraying the champagne. As they might end up on the balcony, Langer looks like he's chewing a hornet. So, uh, awful lot riding. But yeah, going back to the point about Root, it does, it does flatter England, but at the same time, it was a vitally important win for him. Um, it reminds me a little bit, not quite the same context, but a little bit like, uh, Athens victory in, in 97. Butch would have been there. He, he, he knew mm. all about that. It was, a, it was, it was a, you sense Athens was wavering and then decided, no, I, I'm enjoying this. This this moment this enough to carry on and you, you really got the sense that that you know if Root had been a two time losing captain would he have been on the podium saying I want to be the man to bring the Ashes back in two years time or would he have sort of thought I, you know I'll consider my position I I think he would probably have wavered a little bit and certainly Ben Stokes on the podium saying I'm hundred percent behind the skipper uh, there was a optimism and a euphoria around England that certainly didn't look like it was going to be there uh, up until the the midpoint of heading either or, or, or the penultimate point of heading um it, it they've they've pulled one out of the fire there um much as they pulled it out of the fire in the world cup in in, in many mm. ways so it's uh yeah it's overall an optimistic uplifting summer for england and and so you, you it'd be rude to to rain on the parade uh, yeah the, as far as the sport goes i mean you couldn't we, we said it before before a ball was bowled that this summer had the opportunity to sort of to promote cricket in a, in in its best possible light, and I think it's exceeded that by <laughs> by tenfold. Um, it has it has shown the game to be um, one of one of skill, one of drama, um, one of great narratives, heroes and villains. The whole thing you've had you've had everything from start to finish, and we can kind of moan and grumble, which I'm sure we will do it, um, very shortly. In fact, <laughs> about some of the minuti of um, you know you know selections of of, of of daftness, of, of strange, illogical um, calls, all that kind of stuff. But the overriding feeling for me at the end of that was it's just been utterly unbelievable. And, and thank you to all of the players, really, particularly England, um, because of all the pressure of, of it being at the home series, um, of winning the World Cup, of, of delivering on the promise of sort of four years of, of turning the game upside down to win that World Cup. Um, and then to, to somehow manage to dig into the reserves and, and pull out a performance like that in the last test match at, at the Oval. And also to Australia, who've been on the road forever. Um, and I know what that feels like when you, you know, you're moving around, um, you know, up and down the country, one hotel to the next, another game. The mountain was climbed perhaps in terms of winning the Ashes, uh, the, the test match before, and maybe it was a bridge too far for them. That's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of metaphors, isn't it? Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the two sets of players have served up something that was that was glorious, um, and cricket should be all the better for it. Oh, I'm sure we will be talking about this summer long into the future. Joe Root actually uh, thanked the the press at his, his final uh, uh, press conference yesterday evening, so he was obviously in a chipper mood. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, yeah, we've had sort of the operatic scale, and we've had uh, the sublime and plenty of the ridiculous as well. Australia still haven't won in England since uh, 2001, and uh, 
probably some of that um, has to come down to nice guy Tim Payne uh, <laughs> handing over the advantage of batting first at the toss uh, at the Oval on Thursday morning. Um, is that right up there with sort of NASA 2001, uh, Ricky Ponting 2005 at Edgbaston? Well, statistically, actually, it is because apparently it is <laughs> only, f- only twice. Only in- twice in, in in Ashes history has an Australian captain won the toss and chosen to bowl in England and lost. The only other time was Edgbaston 2005. So it's not a not great company to be in. Um, so you know, you could tell from the outset. Remember in the in the Hidden Ashes in 2005, there's a glorious little still. You didn't see it in the live one, but the, the the camera pans across to Michael Vaughan and this ridiculous smirk curls onto his lips when 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 Ponting calls calls to to, to bowl first and. Um, you could sense Root was trying to be nice about it at the toss. He was trying to pretend that he he was hedging it, but no, he was he was delighted. I'm sure it was a strange decision. Um, it was almost vindicated because I think they banked on England uh, being ropey, which they were. But also, I wonder how much Smith's um, illness p- perhaps um, was a caveat there, because he apparently had a bit of flu. Yeah, a bit of flu, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of talk about the the workload Australia's seamers, particularly Pat Cummins, had had coming off the back of the the old Trafford test. People wonder whether whether realistically it was a case of well, let's just give give Smith another day in bed or another day of not having to think about it, rather than um, mm. rather than, than going the other way. <laughs> that tells you that tells you all you need to know about about sort of um, you know the the value of, of batsmen over bowlers. Where <laughs> where the, where if you make a decision like that based on one batsman who's feeling a tiny bit under weather as opposed to four fast bowlers who are all <laughs> who are all got their legs. Hanging Hanging off after winning you the ashes, they'll deal. They'll with be it. fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a bizarre call. It really was. Um, I, w- I was at the Oval on the Wednesday, um, doing some bits and bobs, and it, it sort of went out. The pitch was uncovered and and, and it was dry. Um, it's th- this slight, slightly mottled, strange look to oval pitches nowadays. They used to sort of be straw white and um, you know almost with a, a bit of a sheen on them, but they they kind of look sort of like camouflage a little bit now. Different colours mm. of, of grasses and and whatever. But it was it's just dry, you know, dry a dry surface that um, given given where Australia have have won the toss and batted um, in this series, um, you know, in conditions that were were far far worse. Than, than those at the Oval on Thursday. It was just a bizarre decision. And couple that, and you couple that with the fact that they left out Pattinson um, for conditions and also because they didn't want him to play two matches on the bounce. They left him out at Old Trafford. Um, but then overlooked both Pattinson and Stark in favour of Peter Siddle to play on what, you know, what traditionally is the flattest, the flattest of pitches in the, in, in the, uh, in the round, um, was just, was, was staggering. Um, you know, of course, if they hadn't dropped Joe Root three times or whatever it was and, and just all, all the other ifs and buts, but it just seemed like a bizarre call. You saw how much the ball turned on, on the final day. You saw Joe Root was making it, you know, making it talk. Um, so it was just a really, really weird decision. Um, and one that, you know, that allowed it, that gave England the chance. But I think there's a stat I read somewhere, um, that, in test matches where the opposition had made over 200 in the first innings of a test match, England have lost them all in the last 18 months. So all you have to do is score over 200, <laughs> batting first, and you're, and you're quids in. Um, so, you know, just very, 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 very odd. <laughs> um, as Butch mentioned, dropping route uh, three times in that first, uh, first day um, certainly didn't help. England threatened to squander the the uh, advantage that had sort of been handed to them though from 170 for three um 
just after tea, I think it was. I mean, it's they, what they, they do these days, they, isn't it? <laughs> they, they went into the, a familiar tailspin, and then it was Joss Butler. Well, they, they went to the end of this tailspin. summer of all summers. Yeah, and then, you know, it's, it's extraordinary how England have, have been at their best when they have been had their backs shoved against the wall. And whatever scenario it is, it, it, it speaks to the character, the huge, massive stature of the big names in that dressing room is that they know how to put in a performance when they're up against it. But they have to get themselves up against it to put in the performance. And and it's certainly the case with the batting. You saw it last summer against India as well. Every time England had a collapse, they found a way to dig themselves out because they were able to put all, put aside all, all doubt about how to play it. They just had to play it. They play it the way they play it. And in Butler's case, obviously, it was it was go for broke and, and smash a few quickly before the wickets run out and that that, that did that did the needful um but you know overall though the you know the, the you know talk about the drop catches and all the rest of it it, it was a flawed series there were you know in terms of pure quality it wasn't a patch on 2005 in my opinion um leaving aside obviously the mini the mini um jewels joffre archer's moments that that were were, were up there and steve smith's ubiquitous excellence but I don't mind that. I I think in terms of, again, going back to the narrative and the summer and the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs, I love the fact that there is room for flaws in high-quality test cricket. I think often the game is better for having great highs and massive lows. David Warner being anonymous is a huge mini-narrative arc. Jack Leach being a hero, despite the fact, you know, one run from 17 balls isn't the sort of thing that you usually rely on. But, you know, it comes down to the guy who can't bat Funny enough, a can bat to save the game. Uh, I love the I love the the ebbs and flows. It, you know, I, I've worried in recent years that uh, you know the, the the move towards sort of uber professional fielding, uber professional batting has taken some of the some of the quirks, some of the highs and lows. But this series, we, we've had it all. We've had a, had the full gamut, and it and it's made it, I think, more compelling. For you know, it's more relatable. Bit of when, good when old fashioned incompetence. Incompetence yeah, is relatable. It's, a good th- it's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, I suppose if we turn it over to our footballing cousins. If if everybody defended properly, no one would ever score, and the game would be terrible. So you know, it's important that people are rubbish from time to time. <laughs> so true. Well, there's the no shortage of that and, and look at the averages um, on both sides where you sort of had um, three or four standout players uh, you know performing above and beyond and then lots and lots of dross um, one of the standouts uh, Joffre Archer his summer um, has been such a revelation that he seems to have even outstripped uh, the predictive power of his old tweets um, <laughs> Uh, another six for in the first innings uh, helped England to a more than handy lead. And there was, I mean, the, it's notable about the way he sort of took wickets with the new ball, bowling, you know, good areas, line and length. He reverted to, to short and nasty um, against Marnus Labashain and then pinned him LBW um, and then came back and got rid of the tail. We saw the knuckleball against uh, Nathan Lyon again, uh, just when that was getting a bit pesky after after England had finally got Steve Smith out in the uh, for for less than less than a hundred, well, less than his lowest score as it was at the time for eighty, missing a straight one from Chris Wokes. But I mean, Joffre Archer again, just showing what we've uh, what we've come to discover this summer. Yeah, he's just he's just outstanding, um, and and again, kind of placed in a. In a lineup, interestingly, without without Ben Stokes in the lineup, suddenly um, Joe Root had to had to rely upon a lot more upon 
the the undercard, if you like. So Sam Curran played a starring role in that first innings. Um, Chris Wokes actually got through a bit more work. Um, Joffre was 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 he picked and ch- picked and chose his moments better as to when um, Joffre was going to be of most use to him and when he could really come in and, and change the game for him. Um, and Jack Leach also got a got a do as well. It was almost as though, it, uh, look, this shouldn't come as any sort of surprise. If you if you get a first innings lead, if you make runs, then as a captain you have a, you, you feel as though you have a lot more options. You can kind of run through your bag of tricks a little bit more. Runs make you a better captain because because suddenly you you're not up against it. You're not trying to claw the game back. You're actually setting the agenda. So um, you know perhaps a lot of Joe Root's captaincy captaincy worries or woes or problems or difficulties have been have been mainly because of the lack of runs that he and the rest of the batting order have scored. So perhaps you know the thing can sort out um, sort out a, a more workable. A more user-friendly um, batting lineup in terms of personnel and the order that they wander out in. Small if. <laughs> then, well, well, then, then you will see. Then you will perhaps see. You know that Joe Root has the has the skill um, to, to to handle what is looking to be a very very potent bowling lineup. Um, you know, he's kind of there was there was some chat. He was sort of throwing things forward to. Oh, you know, I want to be the guy for the next Ashes. So what are we talking? Twenty twenty one. Un- unlikely, very unlikely. I would say very unlikely that Jimmy Anderson is going to make that. Um, Stuart Broad, who knows? He looks to be bowling magnificently. But again, you kind of—it's very difficult to, to hang your hat on. If, if on, they're the two new ball bowlers in, in exactly, Brisbane, it'll be on thirty-plus-year-old um, new ball <laughs> 30, bowlers, thirty-nine and thirty-five, with a kookaburra in Australia. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, was, I saw this. I saw this at first hand with Gus Fraser. I remember off the back of off the back of the ninety-eight. Um, Test series win against South Africa, right? So five match series, first one England had won for thirteen years or something. And Gus was kind of like a major part of that bowling lineup. After I don't know if he played the first test at Brisbane, he may have done. But basically after after two warm up games it, it was obvious that he couldn't because he just didn't have the didn't have the pace. He didn't have the, the necessary um nip as they were calling it back then to make the kookaburra ball do anything or to, to trouble anybody on, on flatter, truer uh, pitches. So, you know, we'll have to, you just have to monitor that. In which case, yes, we've got a, we've got a gold one in, uh, in Joffre Archer, but it's then trying to f- find out to, to, to the quality, where is the quality coming from, where is the longevity coming, on, coming from around him so that he doesn't end up having to bowl all of his spells at 84 miles an hour just so that he can get through the test match. Um, I don't want to dwell on uh, painful memories of Gus Fraser for you there, Miller. But <laughs> he did. He did play at Brisbane. He dropped Healy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He did. Yeah, down at third. Was it down at third, third man? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did play there. Yeah. Um, and uh, Nip being all important uh, when it comes to uh, barren Australian surfaces and, and the Kookaburra ball. But um, Big Sam Curran, he certainly got Nip in these conditions. Um, and he showed what it, that left arm angle in particular can do. Stephen Smith talked about the sort of unnaturalness of facing him as a right hander. There aren't many um, left arm quicks going around in in world cricket. Yeah. I mean, there are good ones that you can all name, Stark and Trent Bolt and so on. But I mean, was this a timely reminder for for uh, Sam Curran? Of what well, he can I do? mean, or is I, he going to remain a sort of horses for courses? I still type? don't know what, whether England know what they've got with Curran because he is such a competitor. But he's also he's not quite a batsman yet. Although I think he, I think fundamentally he could be one of England's best batsmen in a few years' time. Because what is he? Twenty-one now. He's, he's got plenty of time to grow into the the clear sort of um, 
game face that he's got, literally, when he's running the ball. Um, but when as a bowler, I mean, he was actually what was he pushing 82, 83 miles an hour in his first spell, which is quicker than I've seen him. Second spell, second innings, he was back sort of high 70s, which is the sort of pace that clearly wasn't enough when he played ahead of Broad out in the Caribbean this winter. So, again, if we're talking about taking him down under, do we take him down under in more of a sort of Stokes batsman first role and use him as a, as a guy to break things up with that different line trusting him as a frontline uh, attribute as as a as a pace bowler is still something i think he's going to rely on that swing and obviously he got it and you know so did mitch marsh so you know clearly there was something in the atmosphere at the oval that hadn't really been around for much of the rest of the series because really it's been seam all series not swing that has that has been the the decisive weapon um so i don't i don't know what they've got with car i don't think they know what they've got but what they do clearly have as a guy who who has a never say die attitude and is going to tear in in whatever capacity he's he's picked in and and do something resembling a job and it's a great guy to have on your bench whether he's a guy you throw in as a frontline option yet i don't know what that's proven to be honest no i i, I, I totally agree um i just you know i i wince at the idea because i'm a massive fan obviously um, there, there is a, a, connect, a club connection there somewhere. I don't know where you find it, <laughs> but I'm a, a massive fan. But I do, I worry. You know, the cricket ball will swing maybe for ten overs. He's not getting his hands on the ball. He's not getting his hands on the ball in the first ten. <laughs> um, in which case, you know, well, well, where do you use him as a bowler? Um, and so that's that's just going to be a conundrum for his career, unless until unless and until he becomes a, you know a, a top a, a top six batter and when I say top six batter let's let's be very very clear about what that means or what that used to mean anyway that used to mean somebody who has the ability to to, to score 150s and to and to average sort of 40 40 plus that's the that's the old definition of somebody who bats in that role now I know in the in the current batting lineup there's only Joe root that averages above 40 I know I know this but but I'm, I'm saying this for the purposes of if you're picking somebody who is going to bat in your top five or six it kind of would be helpful if they batted in the top three or four for their counties and were scoring upwards of 900 runs at 50. During the summer, you know that yep. would because then that tells you that that is their job. <laughs> this is what they do. Is what they get paid for. Yeah. Um, so Pretty handy I'm guy. sure we'll get to that. Well, you, I, I love the use of used. Sounds like you lean towards total cricket at last. <laughs> no, I'm t- I'm t- well, if total cricket means that your batsmen score runs, then yes. I mean, but I, I didn't think that was that was sort of uh, remoulding the wheel in any way, shape, or form, Miller. <laughs> Incidentally, uh, at the Oval, uh, the in passing with the Quickviz guys, they they were very much enjoying your discussions of, of total cricket butch, over well, they, <laughs> over the last 12 months they, or so yeah they have been yeah really appreciating the sort of extra coverage you've given the idea <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so we, we current current did his thing uh archer did his thing uh, and um, well one of the remarkable things about the, the eventual victory some top draw deep statting from uh uh, the BBC's Andrew Sampson here was the first time in Test history uh, England bowled the opposition out twice with none of the bowlers who took wickets in the first innings taking wickets in the second. So uh, second time round it was it was Stuart Broad, Jack Leach, and uh, Joe but, Root. But this again, yeah. without without riffing on total cricket for too long, this does again point to the depth that England do have in their lineup when when they get their lineup right. And, and, and bear in mind, of course, this was a game in which Stokes was not bowling. You know, looking at the difference between 
the way that Australia played it all summer with four frontline bowlers rotating endlessly to keep them cherry ripe and, you know, obviously paid massive dividends. Um, until they threw it out the window in the last the test matches. Exactly. The last, last test, it was clear that, you know, Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood had put in such a shift that, to be honest, by that final innings, Hazelwood didn't get any wickets. Cummins was a bit unlucky, but didn't get the five that he deserved. And you're left with Siddle, who bowled really badly. And and Lyon, who wasn't there, so um, you know it, it was it, 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 the options that England have with their with their slightly mishmash lineup does mean that they they can turn to different guys and and change it up in a way that uh, many other teams can't. Total cricket, traditional cricket, flawed cricket is clearly flawed uh, cricket what is the way forward. What we're, we're back to um, England. Uh, Butch mentioned runs uh, a lead for Joe Root to work with and, and they just need to really bat competently in that second innings um, step forward Joe Denley a uh, little bit of little bit of luck to um, help him along the way uh, his second child was born on Friday night so he, he sort of dashed from the oval uh, to be there um, he didn't make a, a hundred but it was at least a daddy 50 it was a daddy 50 yeah he played really really well um, yeah he, somebody that trains as an opening batsman all his all his career. Somebody hasn't done it for a little while. Um, somebody who, given the given the the pawns that England had to line up with at the beginning of the summer, would have been much better off had he been opening the batting all the way through. Someone called this. <laughs> Someone uh, called this. I don't, know. I don't know where he was. Um, memo, and, memo to George. Or just just uh, a, just somebody that would that stood as good a chance as anybody had been able to get through it because it's it's something he knows and he's, he's an experienced guy and now in the three or four different positions that he's batted in um to go along with everybody else in the last uh, last 12 months um he's made runs in all of them he made it he made it 50 wasn't it? it was 50 in the in the caribbean uh, batting at three yep um then that really important half century or two half centuries that he made at, at four um, in the Headingley set up Headingley played yeah. really, you know, really, really nicely. I mean, that innings, if more than anything, despite um, despite my my sort of my feeling about it from from before we started, was the one that sort of showed you. Well, okay, the guys played with an enormous amount of patience, no little technique, um, just happy to be out there grinding out runs. And if kind of if maybe that was the one that tipped Ed um, and his uh, and his. And his uh, mad, <laughs> mad vials and uh, bubbling potions or whatever to think. Oh, actually, maybe we, maybe we do have an opener in the side. Um, he's been there all along, well, he, hiding in plain sight. <laughs> Hello, it's Joe. He um, came out of ten for two, of course. Uh, uh, yeah. Heading, so there you go. So almost. So you know that finally it tipped them towards doing what they should have done at the very beginning, which was and and what and exactly what's happened is this: is that because Joe was he was playing right, he was in the eleven, he was going to play. <laughs> Again, going back to my logical argument for why he should have opened from, from the start was, yes, he's, he's opened before. Yes, he's experienced. But the main one for me was that if he, if he did the job, did it half decently and got England off to some decent starts along with Roy Burns, that you've got an absolute belly bonus. You've got a, a you know, something that you perhaps weren't counting on. It didn't matter necessarily whether it was successful or not. But you, but you gave the guy or you put the bloke there who had stood the most chance of being able to make something happen. And if you do that, you might be able to give shield and protect your middle order a little bit more. Mm. You might be able to put some totals on the board. Let's not worry about, exactly. about the individual, you know, amounts of runs being scored. Can that batting lineup post 300, just 300, on a regular basis and give a very, very good bowling attack the chance of, of winning your test matches. Um, they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. 
They could not do it the way that they'd lined them up or the, in the roles that they'd given the players that they'd had. But Joe Denley would have given them the, op- the chance perhaps to have done that. And if it didn't work, it doesn't matter. You've lost absolutely nothing because, you know, at the end of it all, Joe Denley was kind of nobody's idea of what would be a, you know, a five-year test career, someone who's going to score you mountains of runs anyhow. And so you just go, OK, well, that didn't work out. We'll replace him with another opener. Yeah. Not throw... Jason Roy to the to the Wolves in the way that he was that he was thrown, and now you've kind of got this you've got a situation now where it's going to be incredibly difficult to find a, play, a way back for for Jason Roy in that lineup, um, despite all of the sort of the the um, you know what would you call it? But they they basically put a lot of store in the fact that this guy was going to come and do something yeah, very special all, for them, and they the best will in the world. They've blown him out. They've blown him up. And it's going to be incredibly hard to pick him again, is, is, even though I think he's still that he will be good enough to crack it. It, Given it, the opportunity to bat somewhere less less rarefied and somewhere that somewhere that he's never done it before, <laughs> um, in opening the batting, he obviously was left out here because Ben Stokes um, wasn't able to bowl. So there was a sort of a tactical element uh, to the omission. But Miller, did, did it seem a, a sort of um, a, an air of finality uh, to his Test chances? Yes, I think so. I mean, he's had such a shocker for for all the reasons that Butch says. I mean, he, he's had he's been, you know you know hiding nothing in these conditions. I mean, going back to Denley briefly because you know I tweeted sort of slightly tongue in cheek after the first innings and never mind his never mind his um his ninety in the second. The first innings, I mean, what did he get? Twenty odd, maybe well, not even that. Fourteen, but the, the opening but the partnership was, was forty the minutes. Best of the best of the series. It was for, forty mm. minutes. It was surpassed in the second. Innings. Forty minutes of taking on the new ball and surviving the new ball, and then he got out. And I said, well, you know. Frankly, he's done his job. He, he 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 has taken forty minutes. He's taken eight overs out of out of Cummins and, and Hazelwood. Eight overs that would probably have taken three wickets of people who had less <laughs> ability to not get out. Uh, just as Jack Leach, you know, it's it's no it's no coincidence that, that other than Burns, who's obviously cemented his place as as England's first choice opener, the only other two guys who who made starts were two guys who were promoted up the order from lower down <laughs> with a remit. Just don't get out. Just hang around and lo and behold, Leach leached around uh, in the Ireland test and got got his got his 92 and and Denner's had a bit of luck but but you know made the most of that luck it's certainly more luck, more than anyone else would have done uh you know there's still that worry about the ball that leaves his eye line and he still chases a bit but you know compared to some of the flaws of, of balls that were straight and you know bursting through gates of of everyone else in England's middle order um I'd, I'd take that, frankly, and it, it's as good as it's as good as England can get. It's basically night watchman opening. It's like get someone to see off the tough <laughs> bit and and open open the floor to 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 the, to the dancers later Another, on. Another uh, revolutionary plan, um, one that perhaps said Smith's uh, computer programming had well hit, hit upon. I tell you and, what, I tell you what. On the, on a similar note, though, is meet what was it? Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Wasn't that always the gig? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new under the sun here. We, we well, a, well, we we want to get into weighted average. Here we do, point. but we, we we had a had an internal memo at Crickenford the other other day because uh, obviously Rohit Sharma is about to open the batting for India, mm. uh, having been pushed up the order. It's it's extraordinary timing given everything. He could we now be the know. new Jason Roy. He could be the new Jason Roy. <laughs> and so internal memo about guys who've 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 been pushed up the order and, and been successful. My instant thought was Sanjay Banga. Remember him, mm. the guy the guy who's pushed up the order headingly in on the two thousand two. To India's 2002 tour, and they won that incredible test at Headingley. They won by an innings at Headingley in English conditions. Ganguly, Tendulkar, Dravid, yeah. going massive, mm. played England off the park. But the guy who set that up 
with Sanjay Banga with the most tedious half century you'll ever see in your life. He just saw off the new ball. He would not get out in those conditions. And you know, we're talking 17 years ago, but the, we're back to that sort of scenario whereby who can we afford, who can we least afford to lose? When you've got to line up with Tendulkar, Latchman, Dravid, Ganguly, all of, all of the biggest guns ever to play for, for India. Sanjay Banga is the guy they send in as a sacrificial lamb at the top of the order and he does enough of a job to set up probably their best overseas victory maybe outside of Adelaide so it's uh, you know these are these are sort of things that England need to think about in this era where they've got huge gun players in the middle order but push them up to face gun bowlers with a new ball and they ain't going to be guns anymore uh, some old fashioned thinking there uh, the, the, the new fangled approach is uh, apparently uh, and we heard about this last summer with Keaton Jennings but um Smith and, and England run a system of, of weighted averages, which um, apparently, with regard to Denley, his test average going into this uh, final test was around about 24, 25, but according to the weighted average, it was 46. So was Smith vindicated all along, uh, Butch? Is, is, were the, were the, was, is the mystical number proven out, borne out by Denley's subsequent success, or um, was there enough just in actual <laughs> watching him no, play? No, actually, what, just watching him play. I mean, I, I, had no, I had no argument with him being in the side, right? Because in the, in the, in the interest of consistency, he'd earned the right to have, a, to have another go. Um, they just put him in the wrong place. That was all. That's the only gripe I have. <laughs> that, that if, if you were going to get the best out of, out of the lineup, they put them in the wrong place. Um, and so he didn't, so he, he might have done himself a bit of good batting number four, making the, making the odd sort of slow 50. We didn't do the team any good, particularly. He didn't make any difference to sort of us making big totals. Um, whereas it might have done had he gone in first and, uh, you know, perhaps Joe, Joe at four, you know, they, they, I still think that that's the way, the way that they should end up going with Joe at four. Maybe find another, another opening batsman, stick him in there at number three, go really old school, have three openers in the top three. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see a problem with that because if because if all I'm hearing is that at the moment with the bowling attacks around, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that there's never been a harder time to bat in the top two or three in the history of the game, yeah, righto. <laughs> but this is what they're saying. Then, then, then it makes sense to kind of to, to jam the top the top three with guys who are kind of who are out there looking to blunt the crap out of it. Right? That that just makes perfect sense to me. Um, and so they, you know, so eventually they came around to that way of thinking by the time we got to the last test match. And uh, Miller, will they be sticking with that way of thinking, do you think, for New Zealand and beyond, uh, obviously, tests uh, in New Zealand and South Africa and then Sri Lanka this winter? But um, Roy, uh, Roy, Rory, <laughs> Rory Burns, who didn't quite average 40 in the series, but his weighted average no, was, probably was unfortunate somewhere. You know, been, he, he deserved to, I know that. Did. Yeah, bloody well. exactly. the, the standout opener, I think, oh. uh, on either side. Um, and Denley uh, in, in New Zealand this winter. Is that, yeah, is that well, the way to go? It's not so much New Zealand that worries me, it's, 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 it's South Africa. Um, the thought of Denley opening at the Wanderers just, just still gives me a little, <laughs> little bit of heebie jeebies, I must admit, even though. You know, with 450s in in a, in a tough Ashes series, you can't argue with the application. And for all that we've said so far, you know, someone who's going to blunt it is the right thing to have. And so Roy and Denley, clearly the, the first choice openers for this winter. I, you know, it does feel a little bit Keaton Jenningsy, though. Is this actually going to be a sort of permanent fix or is it 
he looking like the best fix at the moment and then get horribly found out overseas we we can but find out but um you know and he got he got what well, he got a 50 in the caribbean as well so he's yeah, not, yeah. albeit I not mean, from opening he's he's building a little portfolio of, of sort of experiences in these top order places <laughs> and has looked as and has looked as as capable as any of the others that have been tried that's i think that's that's where we are yeah. where we're at um, and you Slim know, pickings, but, you know Trent, Bolt, Trent Bolt has been the most, you know, he's the most successful bowler, test bowler for the last however, however long it's been. I'm, I'm terrible at these remembering how long these periods of time are. <laughs> but you know, Bolt and Rabada are in the in the top four bowlers in the world right now. So it's going to be a challenge for whoever it is up there. Um, you know, New Zealand is a, again is a proper challenge. You know, we'll, we'll be going down there um, to greeted to. So people waiting for us at the at the airports with uh, you know with banners about having not won the World Cup and stuff. There's going to be a bit for the first time in a long time. You can see there's going to be a little bit of ne- needle and and perhaps even some interest. Dare there are I no say World it. Championship points, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even even some interest. Dare I say, in us playing New Zealand down there, even with a rugby World Cup on. Uh, they're normally such nice guys. Um, maybe Roy's problem, uh, just to to circle back. Very briefly, uh, was that you know we were all wondering if he'd be the new David Warner, and in a way he was. Uh, they both averaged about nine, um, opening the batting in this uh, series. Um, Warner's troubles, uh, Miller, uh, were largely down to uh, one man on on the England team who uh, finished uh, an evergreen summer on another high, one that we perhaps didn't see coming from uh, Stuart Broad. Well, I know. I mean, he, he he was he was overlooked to a degree in the in the in the, in the build up, but that's largely because he'd been overlooked by England throughout the winter. I mean, he obviously memorably was dropped in, in favour of Curran mm. in the Caribbean, which was you know. Uh, you talk about it was a shocking decision, <laughs> frankly, absolutely shocking. But it but it spoke of a guy who who England seemed to think was you know uh, becoming a bit bit samey, bit of a bit of a one trick seamer and losing a bit of nip. But none of it this summer. I mean, he's he's bowled fuller, he's bowled faster than he has in 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 an awfully long time. And this round the wicked angle to to left handers. I mean, you know, you you wonder how many times you can reinvent the wheel in in cricket. But you know, coming round the wicket and angling it and nipping it away. Uh, I mean, we've got a left-hander right here. I mean, you can tell us exactly what it's like to, to have that sort of angle, but it, it does seem to have transformed his effectiveness. Yeah, Mate, he bowled some absolute crackerjack deliveries. He really did. Um, and, and the key to it really was the length. I think you're absolutely right, Miller, the, the, the full length, because generally speaking, um, and this is something that I used to employ quite often playing against Jason Gillespie. When Gillespie went round the wicket, I remember the first, I remember the first time he did it for a prolonged period and somehow I managed to survive through, through absolutely no, no, uh, no fault of his. Um, and then I realized I had to do something, not in terms of changing the angle, like changing my guard, moving across the stumps, because I always, always would take a middle and off guard to, to bowlers, right arm bowlers around the wicket just to try and line myself up a bit more with the off stump. But the problem was the length. So what I had to do, what I what I ended up doing was getting closer to, to Jason Gillespie. Now, the 2001 vintage of Gillespie is not somebody I would recommend getting closer to, but that was kind of, I figured <laughs> that if I was going to be able to get anywhere near the middle of the bat on the ball and be able to judge whether it was going to go over the top of my stumps, I had to get closer to him. So I'd go, you know, maybe eight to ten inches outside my crease with my guard. Don't which just which Which basically, basically what it did was meant that... That he had that his his normal length, which was which was kind of grazing the top of off stump or going out just over the top of the stumps, suddenly was was full enough for me to meet in the middle of the bat, and anything shorter than that would go over the top. So I was leaving the ball more on length than I was on line. 
Now, what, what, we're, what we were seeing with um, with Warner, I don't think Warner ever did it to Broad, and I was got sitting there. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tweet this. No one. This is not getting out. Because what, what he kept doing was moving his guard sideways. He was either go leg stump, middle and leg, all that kind of stuff. But when what he really ought to have done was go go towards him, go towards him, and make make it so that so that you knew by leaving it on length that the ball goes. How many times did he get out? Not pulling his bat out of the way because he was leaving it so late, wasn't sure if it was going to go over the top. Then he'd have his off stump plucked out of the ground by one that hit the top of off from full of a length that he didn't quite manage to, to cover the, the sideways movement on. And it was an absolute masterclass in having a, a batsman on toast and not letting him off. And you could see Warner was trying everything he possibly could to try and, to try and combat this. Didn't know, and in the end, he ended up going the wrong, you know, going towards le- leg stump trying to give himself a little bit more room outside of stump, which to a ball nipping away from you from on the stumps is just, you know, that's just madness. Why, why would you be thinking like that? But that's how, the, that's how, how badly his mind was frazzled by the, by how well um, Stuart bowled him. It was, it was magnificent. But that's, but that, that to me is born about, born about by the fact that Stuart was able to maintain that fuller length at pace. Um, the full length meant that you're not sure it's going over the top. So you can't leave it on length unless you get closer to him and make him bowl shorter. And that, there you have it. There is the, uh, that's how you deal with it. <laughs> but it's too late for you, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps he was, he was done uh, by that um, very first dismissal of the series where I think he, he had tried to get a bit forward at Edgbaston mm. and he'd nicked one down the leg side, which no one heard. Is or, this the one that was yeah. missing but leg? But then was given out LBW by one that was, yes, was missing leg, leg stump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then perhaps uh, you know was tentative about coming forward thereafter. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary sort of domination. Seven times out of ten, uh, Broad dismissed him, um, and he ended the series by adding to uh, his list of Stephen Smith dismissals as well. Broad, uh, like gully, who'd have thought it? <laughs> <laughs> no one has removed Smith more in in Test cricket than Broad. That was the eighth time. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the first man to get him out at Edgbaston, you know, bold slogging with uh, with the damage already done. <laughs> Ended the series by having him caught in uh, in the leg trap. Um, <laughs> did that prove anything much? Well, it proves <laughs> it proves that Jardine was spot on about about leg theory. That's all it proves. If, if in doubt, bounce him and, and catch him down the leg side. Um, no, uh, what it what it proves is that the England. I think overthought their plans <laughs> and outthought themselves. Frankly, they tried a leg gully in the first early in the series, mm. failed to get him out. Obviously, got 140 in both innings, and then kind of gave up on that one. Right, okay, let's just go for fifth stump instead and, and avoid avoid his body at all. And of course, going fifth stump meant they took out the LBW until, of course, he missed a straight one when he was knackered, and um, suddenly he looked a little, little bit mortal by the by the time the, the the series closed but who wouldn't after 774 runs at 130 or whatever it was it's just it's just extraordinary um <laughs> although as mike selby pointed out it, it, it's not quite as many as viv richards made in seven innings in 1976 839 was it ouch which is just <laughs> just extraordinary but oh, i mean my my word what what a what a what a feast he's put on it's it, it has been extraordinary to to watch you know we, there you go with all your your bradman comparisons and saying here he is up on a, up on a up on a pedestal no one can ever approach him over a course of a 10 10 innings run in ashes cricket smith has got more runs than bradman ever mo- managed in his best 10 innings run so 12,000 and something in 10 innings um it's bradmanesque literally bradmanesque and um that that same sense surely england must have got in 1930s like 
is he ever going to get out? He's never going to get out. We're never going to get him out. We're doomed. That 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 sense <laughs> pervaded the series every time he walked to the crease. It was it was just extraordinary. He sucked the life out of England's hope, and yet somehow they clawed two two. Which again, going back to what I said earlier, is a tribute to England's depth of character. They found a way uh, in the series when when all the evidence suggested they were they they were on toast. Mm. Uh, Root was quite succinct when he said he'd been a, a pain, really, <laughs> uh, 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 in his final um, press conference last night, um, averaging over a hundred for his last two Ashes series. Uh, I think he'll be um, a default pick next yeah. time round. Well, England I, will be seeing him again. Just going, uh, going, back, going back to the sort of like the quarter leg slip, you know. He averaged a hundred, <laughs> and they, you know, and they did try it quite a lot. And he, I see, he said in his own press conference, he said, "Well, you know, if if, if that's all they've got, there's plenty of runs for me, for, plenty of runs for me yet." I think, uh, I think it was uh, Vish Hantaraja uh, who worked out that it was the second time he'd ever been caught uh, leg slip mm. off a pace bowler in his entire career. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's going well that one. Um, the root plan, the root blueprint for 2021, 20, 22. He talked before this test actually about a core group of players that uh, he'll be aiming to take down there. Um, uh, clearly, uh, several uh, candidates that will go straight on the list. You know, ben Stokes, mm-hmm. Joffre Archer, um, maybe Rory Burns now. Joss Butler in the maybe camp, I, I guess. Or a good finish to the series for him. What about the likes of... Um, Johnny Bairstow and, and Chris Wokes, who've had more indifferent summers. So. I, well, Chris Wokes, I think, is is in trouble because his he he finds himself carrying drinks whenever there's a kookaburra ball around. I mean, that's that's not and that's not being unfair. He just does. He kind of he ends up out of the side. Um, so that there's an issue there for him. Um, Johnny Bairstow, another one. You know, again, it's just it's a case of. Is he go? What are they going to do? Are you going to make him a top order batsman? Are you going to be happy with him batting at number seven or wherever it is, six and, and keeping wicket? If he bats six and keeps wicket, he's got to score more runs. If he bats at seven, the, everybody else has got to score more runs above him. You know, the, the other people have got to be better batsmen than him. Um, either way round, it, 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 it's a waste. Um, so he's got he's got a lot. They've got a lot of thinking to do. The new coaching system and the new. Um, and and the uh, and the selectors have got to, have basically got to make up their minds what he is to them. Um, it's a good time though. It's a good time for a, new, yeah. for a new for a new management to come in because I think I think Bairstow has been indulged an awful lot by this management and mm. to a degree for the right reasons. I think obviously you know he's, he's a complex character anyway. He was clearly sort of had a, some sort of rabid obsession with with keeping the gloves and he was scoring enough runs initially. In both formats, for for him to a a stay as first choice keeper in testing, but also to muscle his way in as first choice opener in in the one day team, which is extraordinary. When you think of the think of the quality and the and the potency of of Hales and Roy as England's gun white ball opening partnership, and in comes Bairstow with a with a method that was completely different to those two, not pure not pure power in the same way but but a bit more finesse perhaps and he forces his way in and becomes the key man at times because obviously Roy had his dips in form as well mm. you know he England recognised that, that here's a guy who's who's hot-headed who's who's going to liable to say the wrong thing at the wrong moment but 
he's worth it because let's face it all that matters is is getting the squad and keeping the squad together for this world cup <laughs> they've won that now they can now a new management can come in and take a take a more objective look at what Bearstow actually offers and what fundamentally detracts from the from the team ethic um here, so interesting times for him here is here is the thing right if you're going to win in australia you have to score mountains of runs right you have runs absolutely obviously you've got to take 20 wickets don't at me um, but you've got to score big runs. You've got to score runs and you've got to give yourself then time in order for the pitches to deteriorate and to give yourself a chance to take those 20 wickets, right? You are not playing test matches in Australia that are over in two and a half, three days because the ball is seeming and swinging all over the place. The game is not played that way down there. And so for, first and foremost, the first meeting that they've got to come up with is to go, right, we can worry about Jimmy and Brody later down the line. We've got we've got a, a sort of like a, a paddock of full of, of aspiring fast bowlers that we can keep an eye on over the next two years or so. What we have to do is find, and whether Johnny Besto is one of these or whether he's outside of that and keep a batsman, that's that's again for them to work out. We've got to find a batting lineup that is capable of churning out big big scores with a crookabara ball in flat conditions. That's because if, if you don't do that, you are not winning in Australia. You might as well forget it. If you bat, if you bat the way that we have batted over the last two or three years, you don't, don't even think about winning in Australia. It's completely pointless. Steve Smith, you won't get Steve Smith out. He will get a thousand runs in the series, and they will bowl you out twice. There's, there's no worries about it. So you've got to be able. To, you've got to go so down with, there with scars. You've got to, you've got to go down there. Know that you can win the toss and bat in most conditions. Nearly every condition that you find, win the toss and bat, and know that you can score four hundred at least. Because if you don't, you're toast. I know this. <laughs> <laughs> this is one tip you are giving up right here and now. Um, and of course, England haven't scored 400 this summer. Uh, <laughs> so that's a, that'll be a good place to start. Um, one final, one final thought really. Um, the spinner's role, uh, final day at the Oval, fourth day, but uh, wearing pitch, Jack Leach took four for, did his, did his bit. Uh, we're talking about his bowling rather than the uh, sort of break hammer in case of emergency batting. Um, is he now the designated number one spinner? Is there a way back for Moe, Nally, Miller? Well, and, I think... And, and forget about Australia here, I guess, because, you know, finger spin in, in that part of the world um, is a, perhaps an endangered species. But England have, you know, two years of test cricket before then for which having a, a reliable spinner would probably be a, um, a, a decent thing. Yeah, well, one of the fundamental things that spinners need to have been able to do, basically, since the days of Duncan Fletcher, is bat. And so the fact that Jack Leach <laughs> has emerged from this summer as one of England's genuine batting stars, because let's face it, he's, he's not just a cult hero. He's been a guy who scored runs at the top of the order to win a man of the match award in a Lord's <laughs> Test and help win help win the, the Headingley Test so he, he you know there are no doubts now that, that he's worth his place as part of a team that can bat down the order because one thing that England haven't been able to do in previous generations is trust say Monty Panesar to, to be that lone spinner because you you basically got a rabbit at number 11 England don't have a rabbit at, uh, in Jack Leach so that gives him a leg up I think here we go. We go, we go. Oh, and by the way, you can bowl. <laughs> no, but it is fundamental. It is fundamental. I, I, I the balance of the side. That, but, um, the balance of the, the side. Way, the balance of the bowl. side is such that, that that you need to be able to bat. And so the fact that he can bowl and has and, and has shown techers is 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 
in some ways a bonus weirdly <laughs> well Miller's almost refusing to talk about his bowling but, but uh, he, uh, he did quite nicely he can uh, bowl yeah he can bowl and he, he, I think he averaged 25 with the ball in yeah, the series and there was dual think, role given, given the opportunity and again uh, there's a caveat to all of this in that if you score runs then suddenly your spinner becomes almost twice as valuable to you um you know he he can do he can offer Joe control when he needs it and he can take wickets when when it turns and that is that's all you ask of your spinner all you ask can they do both of those things and he can um he's obviously gotten over the uh the the, the trouble that he had batting which was basically that he was terrified of it that's the thing in the past and if he can and if in you know in a couple of years time in australia if, if he's if he's still in the side as the as the number one spin bowler um if that is still the case then and he can maybe hold hold it together with Josh butler for a little while at the end or more power to him but the fun the, the main thing is he can bowl the main thing is is that he can be trusted to, to bowl long spells and he can remove the need the requirement for england to have a to have a fourth seamer um, who, given uh, you know a, a flaky spin bowler not being able to fulfil his allocation um, on a on a on a hot day, a flat day somewhere, which is what what's basically what's happened with Mo over the years when he's been the number one spinner in uh, in in Australia and places like that, then you're not so worried about what you're doing to to the likes of Archer, presuming he's still fitting there. What you might have to do to somebody like Ben Stokes, um, you know, that's that is the beauty of having somebody who can really bowl. Is that they take a lot of weight off other areas in the team, um, and so yeah, I'm, I'm all in favour. Say I, I say, <laughs> I say I as well. I, my final word on on that though, the batting side of it, the batting, his final word on the batting side is it showed his character flooded out in his batting, and that I think fed back into his bowling. I think it helped the confidence because you know the spinners in England are a persecuted breed. They have been for for generations now because of you know i'm going to turn to george briefly but you know the the time at the county championship and the, and the pitches <laughs> aren't conducive to spin bowling all the rest of, obviously he's been down at taunton where he's been able to learn how to bowl on ragging pitches so he's got confidence as a bowler as he's graham out. swan did at north Ant. indeed so he's he, he's 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 a complete package but it's the character again comes back to everything that england have achieved this summer has has basically boiled down to the character that they've shown in adversity and he is fully Worthy of being mentioned in the same breath as 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 Stokes and and Butler and Co for for fronting up when it mattered. Uh, well, I'm sure Butch will agree that total cricket is the way to go as long as that means getting a total on the board. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've uh, we've taken almost as many positives as it's decent to take. Um, one just. Final look back on the summer, I guess, really, uh, from from the pair of you. Um, it has been a magnificent one. <laughs> Any worry that the schedulers might conclude that more is more? Oh, oh, <laughs> Always oh, a worry. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We, we don't want to do it all again just just yet. Um, Please, no. Let's. Let, I mean, there there is something to be said for um, the you know the afterglow. Light one up and, and 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 have a think about what's just gone on. I think that's the way forward, uh, because it was it was magnificent, and there'll be lots of uh, magnum oct- octopuses written about <laughs> about the uh, about the summer of 2019, and 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 quite rightly so. It has been magnificent. And you know, just finally, obviously, England didn't have a chance to celebrate the World Cup really because they go straight into the ashes. And you know, for times in the early part of the ashes. All the narrative was England are knackered, 
they needed time to celebrate the World Cup. But as things have turned out, they've somehow managed to celebrate the World Cup by playing kind of celebratory cricket. It's been a great Ashes for all manner of weird reasons, for reasons you didn't see coming. But, you know, the result is fair. The performances have been gloriously compelling if not always perfect but again as i said that, that doesn't matter it, we've ended up with a with a, with a summer that everyone can look back on the ecb came into this year they've had their four-year plan for this summer saying whatever happens it's got to be entertaining we've got to make a spectacle we've got, got, we've got to make sure that by the end of it people are thinking wow that was incredible and i don't think they could have asked for better in either format frankly there we have it. Thank you very much, chaps. Uh, I think we might just have supped the last from English cricket's massive summer of cricket. Legends have been written, records have been broken, generations have been inspired, and none of us ever has to mention the 1999 World Cup song again. My eternal thanks to Miller and Butch for talking us through it all, uh, with additional props to George DeBell, Dan Brettig, Osman, Sammy Odin, and several others. Don't worry, we'll be back for more again soon. This has been the Switch It podcast on ESPNCrickInfo.com. dot com.